listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So if there's one thing that you love, it's your comfort. Because I know this about myself. We love our comfort. We, we structure our lives to bring us the most comfort that we can. And then we spend all this time and energy doing what we can to maintain this level of comfort that we enjoy. I mean, just let's pick a few. So think about our cars, our homes, our jobs. All it takes is for your car to break down, your AC to go out in your home, and all of a sudden you can instantly feel your comfort crumbling. And then you can add in our schedules. And this is my big one. I love my schedule. I like to be predictable. I like to know what's coming. Man, when I get out of source, my schedule changes. I don't like that. I feel my level of comfort beginning to fade. Man, we could throw in clothes, Phones, internet, refrigerators, microwaves. Just try to go three days without internet and feel your level of comfort. Teenagers nowadays, you know, not only do they have to carry a cell phone, they have to carry a portable charger because they're going to use it all up and they need somewhere because it has created this level of comfort. You could even throw in our religious activities. Is really, if we're honest... We like Jesus. We might even say we love Jesus, but we want just enough to keep us comfortable. You know, I need enough to where I can fit in with certain things. I like my comfort. I just hope he doesn't push too hard. I hope he doesn't really call me to do something that might make me kind of stand out. Well, today we're going to look at something that I pray makes us feel very Uncomfortable, And it is a difficult subject to talk about because naturally we're going to resist today's subject. So we're going to listen in on Jesus speaking with his disciples. Remember where he is. He's in between the upper room where he washed the disciples' feet. He's made his way. He's headed towards the garden where Judas will betray him. I believe he's around the Kedron Valley. And here's what we're going to see him teach them. God is more committed to our fruitfulness then we are committed to our comfort. And the great news is that's really a good thing, that he is committed more to our fruitfulness than we are committed to our comfort, and we are committed a great deal to our comfort. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to do something interesting. He's going to use a very familiar kind of illustration, especially to them. He's going to use grapevines. Now, we've seen him do this over and over Think back, he used the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles where the priests were distinguishing uh, or they were pouring water on the altars, what they were doing first. Then he stands up and cries out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and they will never thirst again. And he used this to say, I am the living water. In fact, the next day, Jesus stood up in that temple treasury where they're putting out the torches And he said to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of light. And so now he's going to use grapevines. But what we need to understand is that the grapevine was a symbol to them of national life. The closest thing we have 
would be our stars and stripes. To them, this was a symbol that meant something. In fact, during the Maccabean time, when coins were printed, they would stamp grapes on the coins. It was so precious to them that they hung these huge golden uh, grapevines on the temple gates. So he's going to use this very familiar illustration of grapevines to teach that Yahweh, their God, is more committed to their fruitfulness than they are committed to their comfort. So turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, you'll have some homework today. We're going to make it to verse 17. I'm going to leave, need to leave the last part of this chapter to you to go home and do some work in that chapter. So here's how it begins. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So he starts off very simple. You see, Jesus is the true vine, the God the Father. He's the vine dresser. Yours might say garden, gardener. But here's what we need to be careful of. We need some guidelines, especially with passages like this. Because we come to passages like this, and especially like parables, is what happens if we're not careful, we will miss the forest for the trees. Because what will happen, we'll begin focusing on certain phrases, and then we quickly kind of filter them through our context, and we totally miss the point. But also, we have a tendency to kind of look at an illustration, and we take it too far. And we will try to make it say things that he's not trying to say at all. And we will major on the minors. I think we also have a tendency to look at these things and, and to kind of begin filtering other things in, making sure we keep it in context. So there's three things to hold on to. One, Jesus only has believers in mind. And this gets very important when we try to interpret this. Jesus is not going to describe how to become a Christian. That's not what this is about. He's talking about what it means to live then as a believer. Second thing is this, that Jesus' primary point, you're going to see him use this word 11 times in this passage, and it's the word abiding. But I've heard people say, I've heard it taught, that the focus is, you got to go bear fruit. you got to start bearing fruit. That's not the command here. You will never see the command to go and bear fruit. The command in this passage is always to abide. Then fruit is produced. And that's going to be important. The third thing, never forget, anytime you're reading in John, make sure you have memorized John 20, verses 30 and 31, to know why he sat down and recorded these things. He's about 80 years old, sitting in Ephesus. Why did he pick these things? And he tells us, so that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So we need to keep all these in mind as we walk through this passage today. So here's how he's going to begin. He's going to make a declarative statement, and here it is in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So here's where we have to be careful. Every branch. I think he's talking about believers in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And we'll talk about that in verse 6. Then he says, every branch, I believe that is believers, that bears fruit. Notice what happens to them. The vine dresser prunes. So first of all, notice who gets pruned. It's always those that are producing fruit going to be important. We'll talk about it in a minute. 
And then notice what the result of pruning is. It isn't punishment. The purpose of pruning is always to produce more fruit. Now, I said I believe Jesus is talk, not talking about salvation, but the sanctification process, talking to believers, because look at verse 3. Already you are clean, speaking to the disciples, because of the word that I have spoken to you. So these disciples have put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ. So he says you're clean. They have been washed of their past, present, and future sins. But they lack something. They're not lacking salvation. They're not lacking justification. They're lacking maturity. So for three years, they've been following Jesus, seeing him doing these things, hearing him teach. But their faith has not yet been tested. In fact, they're going to follow Jesus. They're going to see certain things happen. And Jesus knows the time is coming for these infant Christians to begin to walk. So after this declarative statement, we now see the first command. In verse 4, he says, Abide in me. And I in you. And there's a lot of controversy as what Jesus is doing here. Is it conditional? I'm only going to abide in you if you abide in me. And I would say, no, that's not what the council of Scripture teaches. I think he's talking about this mutual abiding that happens. I think he's saying, be rest assured as I abide in you, now you abide in me. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So he uses this word. It means remain, to stay in, connected to. And he's going to use it 11 times in this chapter. So what does this word encompass? Well, first of all, it does mean to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But it doesn't stop there. How many times have we seen John telling them, continue to believe, continue to believe? So it includes perseverance. But the last part is that word that John will use more than any other gospel writer. And it's the verb form of faith, pistuo. It's an active form of faith. And what he's speaking of is obedience. So it begins at justification. It begins to continue. We would call all this perseverance. And it includes obedience. So here's the disciples. They are to remain, abide in Christ, and that is then how fruit is produced. So Jesus is saying that true disciples are those that belong and have a permanent life-giving, fruit-producing union with Jesus. In fact, the only hope for a life, a fruitful, a spiritual fruitful life is to remain connected to the vine. And so Jesus is going to drive the point home in verse 5. Once again, the statement, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's talking about their new identity. That whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he says once again that the only hope for a life of spiritual fruit is to remain connected to the vine. So he's describing this thing that's a, a continuous dependence on a vine. Once a vine breaks itself off, it is no longer good for anything. It will die and wither. It has to be a constant reliance, a persistent abiding. And John says that's the key to spiritual 
fruitfulness. In fact, he means no one, not even these beloved disciples that know Jesus better than anyone can bear spiritual fruit without him. But you know, they can do a lot of good things. They can do a lot of noble things. But they can do nothing on their own strength that is pleasing to God. And so here's the reality. There are many things that we can do. Man, there are many good things. There are many noble things we can do without Christ. I mean, you can earn a living. You can raise a family. You can practice generosity. You can even give to the church. I saw several kids coming in this morning giving their offering. You can teach a Bible study. You can even join a ministry team. I'm really sorry for what I did for music or towards music on Friday night. If you haven't heard, I apologize. I'm sure somebody's got a video somewhere. You can even lead worship, and you can even pastor a church without Christ. You can do all of those things, but abiding is doing nothing without consulting and relying on Jesus. It's taking him into that meeting you're going to go to this week. It's relying on him for that phone call that you know you need to make. It's taking Jesus on that date you're going to go on next weekend. It's mentioning those troubling feelings that you're battling. For me, it's a word I created called retop. I don't know, it's strange, it works, so I can remember it. But man, I, I try to focus when I'm doing things, especially with preaching, is to recognize I can't do this on my own. Yes, I could do it, but it would accomplish nothing. Ask God to help. Trust in God's promises. Then step out in obedience. And then praise God for his faithfulness. So he's saying that fruitfulness is the result of a life that is completely dependent upon the true vine. So that is the life of a true fruitful disciple. But here's the alternative. In verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And this is an example where we have to be very careful not to make this illustration say more than it is. So fire in Scripture, you see it several ways. You see it as a form of judgment. You see it as a form of like refining, talking about you take metals and you heat them up and it burns off the impurities. Well, here I believe it has a different Meaning, And I do not believe this is a judgment passage. I know people disagree with me, but here's why. First of all, this passage is to believers. Believers are under no condemnation when they are in Christ. And this passage never once mentions sin. Second reason is there are branches that bear fruit and there are branches that do not. But those that do not, they don't stop being branches. So what is Jesus describing? I think it's a different meaning, and you see it in Ezekiel 15. Go and read that sometime this week. It's a, a, a very similar illustration that takes the idea of a life about wood of the vine, and it talks about it being burned and charred, and this is what it begins saying. Even though it still remains wood, it simply means it is not good for anything. It's useless. So when Jesus talks about this branch that is taken away, gathered up, and thrown into the fire, I believe he's describing a life that absolutely is good for nothing. It's useless. 
And we saw that this week. If you got out in your yard yesterday, we have some rose bushes. It was time to trim them. Some branches that were dead, not good for anything, would never produce a rose. So what do you do? You cut them, you throw them away, you throw them in the fire, or whatever you might do, because they're absolutely useless. And I believe that's what Jesus is describing, that John records, is a life that is useless. It is good for nothing. So in the first first six verses, Jesus is going to do this. What he's doing, he's preparing these disciples for what is about to happen. These disciples are about to go through something. He's going to test their faith like none other. And there is going to be a pruning in their lives that happens. Everything they have believed is going to be challenged. They're going to be led to do things that the world is going to think is crazy. And Jesus wants them to know, continue to believe, persist in the faith. Follow in obedience. Abide in me. And that is the key to a fruitful life. Because he knows this about them. When he dies on the cross, you're going to find them in the upper room, scared to death, wondering what in the world we do from here. Afraid of what's going to happen. In that moment, their faith is being tested. And you know what they want to do? They want to run back to what is comfortable. They want their old lives back. But he tells them, remain connected to me. Drive all that you are, all that you have from me, so that you do not become useless. He's telling them, their lives are not going to get easier for following me. In fact, he says, you're going to take up my cross and follow me. Their lives are about to get increasingly difficult. But only will happen if they want to bear fruit, they must remain, and there will be a painful pruning that must take place. But he wants them to know it is always so they will produce more fruit. So then what he's going to do in the next 11 verses, he wants them to then see, then what does this life look like? And he's going to give them four results if they abide. And here are what they are. It's powerful prayer, obedient love, unstoppable joy, and sacrificial love. And here's the first one, powerful prayers in verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done, to you, done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And once again, this is where we have to be very careful to not make this illustration say more than it does. This is what he's saying. If God's word is received, his word will transform you from the inside out. It will instruct you. It will command you. What then happens is you realize that through his word, you are washed and his desires become your desires. His thoughts become your thoughts. And when you begin praying, not according to your will, but God's will, God always answers those. Well, Here's an example. I was very convicted over this. Man, as a parent, we want our children to be comfortable. Man, we want to simply kind of mow down any problems they have because when they hurt, we hurt. Marcus had something going on at school. I won't give you the details of it. Man, I'll be honest. Man, I was praying, Lord, would you deal with that situation so he doesn't have to deal with it anymore? Then one day, Marcus said, maybe we need to pray about this differently. In, not in these words, but in a lot of ways she was saying, maybe God cares more about Marcus's fruitfulness 
than his comfort. Man, we were committed to his comfort, not his fruitfulness. So then the, the prayers changed, and God begins moving and answering that prayer because it's according to his desires and his will. So when the disciples begin praying according to God's word, his desires and his will, then those prayers have the almighty power of God behind them. And then he says obedient love in verses 9 and 10. It reads this way, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So once again, we have to be careful. This is not saying, if you want me to love you, disciples, then you go out and obey. He is saying, if you love me, you demonstrate it through obedience. That obedience doesn't earn you love. Obedience is evidence of a love that you have. Because here's the truth. It is spiritual insanity. And here's how so many people live. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we don't do or follow what he says. It's crazy to say, listen, I love Jesus, but I just really don't listen to him. But I think practically that's often how we live. We want just enough Jesus to keep us comfortable. But a disciple who does not obey is not a disciple, he tells us, is a fraud. If they're in Christ and they remain in his love, they abide, they remain, then his life becomes their life. His will becomes their will. And that will cause them to love the things that Jesus loves, to care about the things he cares about, to treasure the things he treasures. And then what you realize happens, out of that flows an obedience, but not out of duty, but out of joy. And then he says unstoppable joy, the third thing. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be then full. Meaning if you're connected to Christ, if you find all that you are and all that you have in him, not just enough to make you comfortable, then you get to find an unstoppable joy. But he's not talking about some superficial, shallow, kind of fickle happiness that changes when our comfort level changes. He is talking about a deeply felt contentment that transcends difficult circumstances and derives an unstoppable joy that can only be found in him. Now, it doesn't mean that every day is filled with laughter and fun, but Jesus is talking about a life that is ultimately marked by a confidence that says Jesus is greater and more satisfying than anything this world could ever offer me. And hopefully that is really something that we all desire. But the problem is we love the comfort of this life. Well, the fourth thing is a sacrificial love. In the next four verses, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, but for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus is, first of all, talking about this love that flows from him to you from the Father. But then he's talking about this love, this relationship that happens among the branches. Man, in fact, we could spend all morning just talking about this. That Jesus is describing a love that is only possible if you're connected to the vine. It is a love for each other that is willing, he says, to place a higher priority on someone else's life above your own. But it gives you a lot of kind of illustrations with this. He says it's a love that elevates people from servants to friends. We think, well, I don't have any servants. But how often do you use people for your own personal gain? He talks about a love that shares success of others instead of being envious. It's a love that doesn't keep score. It's a love that wants to see others become who they are, who God created them to be, even if it cost me something. It's a love where people lock arms and want to see others experience the fullness of Christ. But here's the reality of all of this. You can't do it. And I can't do it. It is an impossible task. This type of love left to our own strength, we could never accomplish it. You know why? Because we love our own comfort more than anyone else's. Because we are only capable of loving as long as it is comfortable to me. So Jesus wants you to see the power that is behind all of this in the next, the last two verses. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. I set you apart that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will so that you can love one another. So you know what happens on our own? Our prayers would have no power or effect behind them because here's what we would pray. We pray according to our own wills and our own desires because we love our own comfort. On our own, we would never experience obedient love because deep down we want things our way and according to our will and desires. On our own, we would never have an unstoppable joy because our joy will be connected to our present circumstances. And as soon as that changes, joy leaves. On our own, we would never experience sacrificial love. Because we love ourselves more than anyone. And we would only love others to fulfill our own desires and wills. The greatest news he leaves us with is that Jesus is not leaving us to do this in our own power and strength. He says, I chose you for this. I appointed you for this. Now go and bear fruit. And what he's telling you is that God is more committed to your fruitfulness than you are committed to your comfort. In fact, his commitment to your fruitfulness of powerful prayers, obedient love, an unstoppable joy, and a sacrificial love is greater and more powerful, committed more than your commitment to your comfort. And the truth is that God's plans will always prevail over ours if we abide in him. 
In fact, Jesus said all of this because he's preparing these disciples for the road that they're just about to walk on. Their lives and their faith are about to be tested like nothing they could ever imagine. And they're going to be tempted to run and to head back to what is most comfortable. In fact, many things are going to happen to these disciples. And Jesus wants them to know, you're going to be challenged and you're going to be tempted to run back to what is comfortable. But he wants them to know that God has something greater, that he is more committed to the fruit, the spiritual fruit that they will bear than they are committed to their own comfort. So let me apply this to us today. During the season of of growing, what would happen? The vinders or the gardener would come and prune these vines. And what is the purpose? It's always to produce more fruit. That's why pruning happens. So in fact, the healthness of the vine is directly proportionate to the pruning process. You can't have one without the other. And Jesus says that's true for your Christian life as well, that pruning is process that you must go through, and it is painful. Because no one naturally wants pruning. No one wants the knife. Because we will avoid pain and struggles. Why? Because we love our comfort. In fact, we'd rather do it ourselves. Man, we would rather just let me do the pruning. But you know what? We wouldn't remove what really needs to go because we're committed to our own comfort. We want just enough taken, but I still need to be comfortable. In fact, we would rather do it ourselves, but we can't. So what he's doing, he's preparing the disciples for the pruning that is about to take place in their lives. And it will take them all the way to giving up their lives for the gospel. But he's preparing them for this because our natural tendency is to avoid painful things. It's to avoid the pruning process. And when it happens, we are tempted to abandon all and to run back to what is most comfortable because we are committed to our comfort. But if you truly, if you truly want to follow Christ, if you want to have a life that means more than just what we have now, if you want to have a life that is full of powerful prayer, obedient love, and unstoppable joy and a sacrificial love, then you have to go through some pruning. So I want to wrap it up with a more modern-day story. One of my favorite series, you know, is The Chronicles of Narnia. One of those books, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there is this little boy named Eustace Scrub. You know who Eustace is? Eustace is you and me. He's immature, he's selfish, and he is completely committed to his own comfort, just like we are. In fact, in this story, he finds himself in the, the cave of the dragon, but then he soon realizes that he's turned into that dragon. When he realizes this, he soon comes to find out he wants nothing more than to have these ugly scales that cover his body removed, but he cannot do this on his own. Well, finally, the Christ figure, Aslan, the lion, shows up. And this is what Eustace says. This is what the lion said to me. You will have to let me remove the scales. I was so afraid of those massive claws, but I was so desperate to have these scales removed. 
So I laid back on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made, it, it made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the scales peeled off. So you may be in a time of pruning right now. You may feel that. If you truly want to follow Christ, I promise you there's a season of pruning coming. But if you're in that now or you find yourself in it, man, there are three things from this passage, three truths to take to fight with. Here's the first one. Only those that bear fruit get pruned. Meaning that if you truly want to follow Christ, if we want our lives to bear this spiritual fruit, pruning must happen. And you can't do it yourself. You don't get to pick what gets cut and what doesn't. You have to trust the lion. Number two is that God's hands are never closer than when he's pruning. Because during these times, the natural feeling during those severe cuttings is to feel that God has left you and that he doesn't care. The pruning may be painful. But remind yourselves that it is never to harm you. It is only so that you will bear more fruit. It is in those moments that he is closest. The last one. Following Christ and wanting a spiritually fruitful life is not easy. No one would ever claim that. But it's always better than the alternative. The pruning, you know when it stops? In fact, you want life to be probably a lot easier Stop following Jesus because that's when the pruning stops, when you become useless and unfruitful. Without the pruning, you would never experience the full and abundant life that Christ has. That you live with something better in mind. It's able to help us carry on. So when you experience pruning in your life, remember that God is more committed to your fruitfulness than you are committed to to your comfort. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, man, we're challenged by this truth. Lord, we need to be reminded more and more of how dependent we need to be on you. Because Lord, you've gifted us in certain ways and we've set up our lives in certain ways where it doesn't take long for us to think we can do things in our own strength, where we just even neglect the things you have called us to. But Lord, would you teach us? Would you prune us? Our desire, hopefully, is that we would want to produce more fruit. Lord, the only way that happens is to sometimes go through some very painful processes that we would never choose. But Lord, we have to believe that you're going to do something great through the pain. And Lord, when that pain happens and we feel neglected, that you would remind us that in those moments that you are always near. That even though moments may be painful, they're never to harm us. Lord, help us to remember that following you is far greater than anything this life could ever present to us. Lord, help us to live with 
an eternity in view, that this world is not our home and that we are simply passing through and help us to live to the fullest for you now. Lord, would you take this truth and would you hide it into our hearts? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.